time to swing hard with Coach Denny Barrett. Denny has recruited and coached some of the top athletes from around the world. During that time, Denny created the nationally renowned travel baseball program called Batters, which prepares young players to succeed at the high school and professional levels. In this podcast, Denny talks to coaches, comedians, actors, scouts, and Hollywood elites about sports, relationships, and life. Now here's Denny Barrett. Hey, Pat, talk to you. You are, um, where are you at right now, man? I, uh, I live in Denver, Colorado. And how'd you get back there? Are you from Denver? Originally from uh, Northern California, actually, Sacramento. Yeah. Um, and then came out to Boulder to play football. Loved it. Wanted to, uh, I committed actually before my senior year of football and then uh, stayed. And after school, moved to Southern California, bounced around, never thought I'd come back to Colorado. And then in 2017, uh, moved back and have been out here ever since. So hopefully you football somewhere. pretty much your whole life. Football was your sport. Uh, actually, no, my parents and my mom in particular didn't let me play until freshman year of high school. So I was, uh, you know, which actually I thought was interesting. I thought it worked out well. It's for a lot of my buddies that played their entire life come high school, they were pretty burnt and just kind of, you know, I was just getting started. So I tried to play baseball was a little slow as a, as a young buck. So it never really worked out. And then um high school i committed uh to football you did man and the and did you know the commitment coming in because again i'm going to set this up a little bit but football was uh and i keep talking i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off on this now when you got when you started football did you know that was something you were going to enjoy and keep moving forward on was that something that 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 was going to fit your your roles as you moved on in life you know yeah uh i had hoped so and i think for me the big part of my relationship with my father. My parents got divorced when I was young. As I look back, I think a big part of athletics and football was kind of like my dad was the football guy. My dad played football in college and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to live up to that. And that was our relationship. So that's really what motivated me out the gates. And then as I started to see success, it started to build on itself. So then I really committed to it but when i was caught up in it you know all the extra practice it never really felt like it i was addicted and i i really just you know it was okay when's our next practice when's our next meeting coach help me with more um so it it was something i loved and enjoyed and then the more i progressed and it became like a business that's when it that's when it really started to take its toll you know the the uh there's not a whole god Right there, I'd like to. I would stop and say that's the kind of athlete I want. If you're a coach like myself for 35, 40 years, you go, what kind of a kid you want? I want a kid that can't wait to get to practice, that can't wait to play in football. Man, you play eleven games in a season, but you practice six days a week. That's I, I played high school football, and then I went to base. Going, this is bullshit. No way that I got a Friday night was great, but man. Monday through through Friday morning, man. Even up the pregame meals was just miserable, you know. You, you know, and and that it that is yeah that addiction you're talking about. It, it's an intrinsic motivation, but you have to have that, I assume, to play that sport of football. To you, you have to enjoy practice and so forth. No question, and I think even if you know, there's those intrinsic things that like you said of the 
camaraderie with your buddies and all, you know, no one likes running the gassers and yeah, yeah. Kind of like the getting beat up every day or any of that stuff. But it is, you know, like at CU when it snowed, we'd be stuffing each other's helmets with snowballs and like random, you know, dicking around on the sidelines that that's the stuff you miss and to make it fun. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I look back and the amount of time that I spent trying to make it, I now I like joke with my wife all the time. I'm like, damn it, I should have played like tennis or golf or something that I could play forever in the you know prettiest spots in the world. Um, but I loved football at the time and instead got to travel to those spots. We were in the Big 12, so like Iowa State and Manhattan, Kansas, and all this stuff. I'm like, damn it, what was I doing? Can you can you imagine your dad and mom? I used to say this, man, but doing this baseball thing. If they would have got you in the stocks, learning the stock market at, at 18 as opposed to sport or 12 when you started playing football, 13. And if my parents could, I would be a much more of the amount of time I spent on this stupid game is yeah. I tell you, I could have made it tons and tons of money the other way, you know. That's right. For a lot longer. For a lot longer, yeah. Hey, I looked up Pat Devaney. We're with Patrick Devaney. And right off the bat, I'm just going to read about me. Well, let me cut to the chase. So we're going to get to know you right now, Patrick. Let me cut to the chase and introduce myself. My name is Patrick Devaney, and I am a former football player, mental health advocate, and recovering bulimic. I specialize in helping cut through the BS of what sounds good versus what makes what males will actually hear and relate to. Let's get right to it, Patrick. Why you? Why this? Why this topic? And, and, and thanks for being on this thing, man. What 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 happened between high school? You were a high school quarterback. You go from here, brother. Yeah, I uh, thank you for the intro. I was a high school quarterback and uh, was relatively uh, highly recruited. Came down between Colorado, uh, Arizona, Cal few other schools, UCLA in there. And then, like I said, I chose Boulder. After my freshman year, they fired our coach um, on the plane ride home from the Big 12 championship game. And we ended up getting a new coach, um, obviously. But he, when he came in, he also brought his son to play quarterback. And I kind of got put in a position of like, do I stay and compete against the coach's son and go through that whole deal? Or um, do I transfer? And the transfer portal looked way different back then. So I had zero desire to transfer. And I I loved Boulder at the end of the day, had some good friends after my freshman year. So I stayed and they asked me to move to tight end. And in that transition, it, you know, up until that point too, we had had uh, CU was, a program known for its tight ends. We had had several um, that were either first or second round draft picks within the probably five year span before me. So there was a lot of pressure in that position. And instantly in my mind, it was like, okay, I got to gain 20, 30, 40 pounds of pure muscle, lose body fat and get bigger, stronger and faster. And that needs to be done tomorrow, right? And so all of a sudden you start diving into all the crazy diets and, and whatnot. And then I'm also trying to learn a new position, um, going against all big 12 DNs and just getting tossed around like a rag doll. And, um, 
then ultimately have the pressure of expectations from your parents. You don't want to let them down. Um, they want to see you out there. Everyone's kind of tied up in that notoriety. What's Patrick doing out in Boulder back home and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot weighing into that. And after about two years, I started to see some success on the field and um, had an opportunity as an undrafted free agent with the uh, Seattle Seahawks and got up there and that was a whole different ball game every level of business involved obviously and uh and then ruptured a tendon in my wrist and they uh paid for a plane flight home and and that was kind of the next kind of now what phase of life and in that sort of loss of identity is where i really started to develop at the time i had no idea what tell it was an eating disorder and i had said if my best friends are all going to play in the NFL, I better look like it. And at the time I'm working as a host in a restaurant and um, really just trying to find myself, whatever that means. But it really ended up getting pretty nasty. And I always, it's common, especially in the sports world, but football in particular, you hear of CTE and a lot of these uh, concussion issues and whatnot. And being associated with suicide and um, a lot of the dangers and and what is a repercussion to that. But really, I look at it and a lot of the guys that I have uh, um, come across or have read about or any of that kind of stuff, like at CU, we've had roughly nine guys commit suicide since 2001. And those are all ex-football players, right? So you look at CT and it's like, oh, it must be the concussions. But a lot of it comes down to loss of identity, one of which was our Heisman Trophy winner, one of the best players of all time. And when he got done and you kind of no longer, no one really cares what you're up to. You don't have anyone chasing you down for autographs, any of that kind of stuff. And you're taking a entry-level sales job. Life starts to look a lot different. So for me, the only thing I could control was um the gym how hard i worked out what i ate tracking macros all these diet hacks and really it it put me on the edge of suicide and as i looked around when i finally realized i had this thing called an eating disorder there was not a damn person talking about it unless you were a 60 pound white female yeah. and Quite honestly, it was the opposite. So at that point in time, I said, you know what? It's someone's got to talk about it. And if it's going to be me, that's fine. Um, because this is definitely affecting so many athletes, um, let alone males, but so many athletes. And so hey, hey, Patrick, I want you to think, when did it start, do you think, though, man? Now that you look in the rear view mirror. And 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 I, by the way, Patrick Devaney, I appreciate you being on here. Um and and when did that, not the, the eating disorder start, because doesn't that come from a mental, it, it starts in a mental spot, I believe, or somewhere back there. And you don't know, you have to look in that rear view mirror and go, bam, now that you can look back in your time, you're a 36 year old man with a family, beautiful wife, beautiful home in in, uh, in Erie, Colorado, just just a minute away from Longmont, Colorado. Um, That's right. When you go back, do you see, did this start earlier? Did it start before you even started playing football or, or can you, is there a spot? Yeah, I've I've been asked that before, and I've really tried to reflect on it. I would say it definitely started as a child, kind of that body image, um, the pressures involved in that, and 
you know, just even being a high school kid trying to impress the girls or whatever it's going to be out at, you know, the lake or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but then it slowly morphs into like athletic performance and um, how you can really try to succeed that way and the pressures involved. But it definitely, you know, there was my mom has since passed, but so I never got a chance to ask her. But looking back and really kind of thinking on it, I think she had an eating disorder. So seeing some of those like traits and hers look different um, in the way she dealt with it, but or it showed up. But I think that's kind of where it took off. And as an athlete, when, yeah, you're, you have all these pressures and you're trying to con- control something that's pretty easy as a uh, outlet, as opposed to drugs, alcohol, any of that kind of stuff. Right. So, Hey, hey Patrick, can I ask you something real quick? When, when, yeah. when you looked at yourself, did you see yourself being too heavy, too skinny? Where, which way were you going? Were you eating too much, not eating enough? It's And, and I, I know that's a, a crazy question, but it's no. curious. I have two boys right now, right in your age, when this seemed to happen. So I'm kind of curious. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I was never lean enough. And so never had enough muscle. And no matter how big I got in which... I was on a call today and I was talking to a buddy of mine and my dad went by big Pat. I'm, and he's like, I'm going to start calling you little Pat. And then he made a joke and he's like, dude, you're an effing beast. And it was like, you know, I'm still larger on that side, but I'd always been a bigger guy physique wise. But when I looked at myself, I was, I would pinch, you know, the fat around your stomach and be like, damn it, I'm not there yet. What do I need to do to lose that? last couple percentages of body fat or even one percent and um and never had enough muscle so it was like this muscle dysphoria of like i just couldn't gain it and so i you know and then i was working with a trainer and uh um through my agency after school preparing for the nfl and i had this program i found it downstairs a while ago I was eating roughly on training days, five to 7,000 calories a day. But when I looked at the diet itself, it was all chicken breast, brown rice, broccoli. And that is a ton of um, food throughout the day. And you're never, you know, I didn't have soda until I was 26 or something. You know, it's like those forbidden um, sodas, candy, cake, any of that kind of stuff. So I was super regimented in that, but it was kind of that combo of I'm not lean enough yet. I'm not big enough and trying to balance that in and of itself, which I never achieved. And I look back at photos and I'm like, holy shit, I'd do anything to be that skinny again. I'd be anything to be that ripped. But at the time, I just saw myself so differently. I submit, do you you see it? do Do you see it today? Like when you came on? We talked a little bit yesterday. I've seen some photos of you, obviously, on, on uh, again, Patrick Devaney. Look up, find him. It's spelled D-E. It'll be on there. D-E-V, as in Victor, E-N-N-Y. And uh, do you do it today? When that shirt comes off today, or in the jacuzzi, or on the, do you still, does it, does it, is this an addiction? For example, alcohol, drug addiction. It's a lifelong disease. I know it. I'm very familiar with it in myself. 
It doesn't go away, though, does it, Patrick? It sticks. It started. It sticks around, and we got to constantly pay attention to it, in lack of better terms. Huh? That's exactly it. It's a consistent, everyday hip check. You know, I, I joke, <laughs> I, I say, if, if you want to experience, there, you know, there's if there's clinicians listening, they, I'd have to <laughs> preface this. There's a difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder. And it's, it's very minor and blah, blah, blah. But if you want to experience disordered eating and kind of that, yeah, I'm going keto and all these crazy diets where really people have no idea what they're talking about, just go stand by the dumbbell rack at 24 hour fitness. And within 30 seconds, you'll hear it. Right. And it's just like, man, it's everywhere. Um, but in reality, when I say I'm recovered and it's like, well, one, what does that even mean? But two, I'm up against a multi billion dollar industry in marketing and supplements and fat loss and any of that kind of stuff. So I get up and I'm like, you know, you see, uh, back 4th of July, I was around some of my buddies and best friends. And it, it was kind of motivating of like, damn, I need to get my stuff together. But at the same time, I can't go down that path. So it is a consistent, like, oh, I feel it. And now where's that, you know, motivation coming from? Is it a good thing? Bad thing? Is it going to take right. over my life? That's yeah, it's everywhere. Right. So let's go back to high school to college, or excuse me, back to college. You go back to college, man. And you go from wh what's your height and weight? What, what was your height and weight in college? Uh, in college, I was about six, four, and then it fluctuated between 245 and 265. But it, when you came in as a quarterback, that's what you came oh. in at two. Yeah, uh, I, I came in around 220. Godly. So at 220, you come in, new coach comes in. New Hazel was your coach. Sorry, he got fired. Sorry to bring his name out there, but he was a Four quarterbacks hands. guy. He recruits you as a quarterback. He's a quarterback, obviously, and uh, brings you in. New coach comes in. Happens all the time in college college sports. Baseball, I, I see it all the time. Um, new guy comes in and, 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 and they're now – pessimism or uh, nepotism sets in and he likes his son. He's got to go home to that kid every night. He's got to answer to the wife. That's for damn sure. There's more stories about this. Yep, funny. Yep. You know, so he says, Hey, we want to move you to tight end. You say, I got options. I can leave. Talk that portal's different today. Explain that. I know back then, how was that portal back then to transfer? What was it? You couldn't just transfer. No, you had to sit out a year and right. You get there, sit, and I was—I had just registered, so I'd get penalized and have to sit. There you uh, go. So yeah, that—I mean, I just had zero desire to do that. And yeah. ego-wise, ego to then walk and have everyone be like, "Oh, damn!" After one year, like, what's you know, what story am I going to tell everybody back at home why I'm leaving Boulder? God, that's a great—I love that. What story am I going to tell? When I leave, if I leave, if what story do I tell? I could talk to me and my parents, but I got put, I got people out there that I'm going to have to tell a story to. Yep. That yep. then takes us then. So you got to go to tight end. That's and you got to throw now on 25, 30 pounds, 245, 230 pounds. To do that, did you know what the commitment was going to take to put on those 45, 30 pounds or 45, 50 pounds? I thought I did, but I definitely did not. I got you. And I, no, I did not. And I sure, I definitely understand the mental hell it put me through along the way, you know, and especially it's, <laughs> it's wild. It's like, I call it bro science. And especially for the young kids that are out there looking at diets. I mean, you get on Instagram or TikTok or any of that kind of stuff. And you have 
somebody who is um, whatever, a car salesman, a sales executive, uh, any of this kind of stuff that just eliminates all the calories that he's eating, gets a six pack and now becomes an online fitness coach, right? There's zero science involved. There's nothing. And all they did was, you know, went a very unhealthy route, but now they're posting their photos, Photoshop and a million followers and they're selling some program online and you jump into it. And as I, especially back then, there was a lot of garbage. I mean, I'd wake up every three hours, drink my protein because my body needed to synthesize it, all this crazy stuff. And, and not only that, the amount of demonizing you do with food of like, you know, uh, it's late night, somebody grabs a piece, you know, brings pizza home and you're like, oh, can't touch it. And now look, and being fortunate enough in the position I'm in, I uh, get to be around a lot of clinicians, dietitians, understand nutrition a lot more than I did back then. And I just wish I would have had that damn piece of pizza or, or something, you know, like it is what it is. There's, that's a whole nother um, sidetrack. But in college, that's a lot when you're out and about and you want to have fun, but you're living this reality of like, nope, I can't do it. And here I am at, you know, the peak part of my life and just being so regimented in that trying to make it to the NFL. It was, that was tough. Is that stuff, man? See, you got your, your buddies, the bro science. I love that, but you got your teammates, a camaraderie. And is this prevalent in, in the locker room? Is this prevalent? Does, does this go on more than we know the stuff? You know what they say, what goes on in a locker stays in a locker. Usually it's conversations. Usually it's, you know, the, the bullshit that goes on in there. It's just, it's just childish behavior. But this is this, this, when you're in there, man, did you see more of this? Was it just just Patrick Devaney, or was it the the offensive linemen as well? Was it the wide receivers? Was it the defensive tackles? Did you guys did you see it more inside the locker room than we see it outside here in 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 normal life? I think even in normal life, it's not a one person thing. It's actually applauded, right? So it's praised in the environment of how strict your dieting is and you post it online, you have that Dwayne Johnson sweat equity scenario. Look how hard I worked out. And then I'm doing this, you know, I'm going to eat clean for six days and here's my binge meal and all of that. And it's, it's almost the more regimented, the more strict looked at as the more disciplined, the more accolades you get. So in the locker room, it's everywhere. And that's, I mean, I would gen genuinely say if you look in the NFL, collegiately, high school, any of that, I mean, maybe a little bit less in high school, but majority, if not all, of players trying to make it to that top 1% of the population that gets to the NFL have some form of disordered eating. You look at Tom Brady, his TB12 diet. You look at all these other guys that are so strict, make a ton of money off it, selling their swag, all that kind of stuff. But it's brutal, right? And it's it is that fine line of what does it take to make it that far and be that successful. But yeah, it is it is and the other part that I always I don't want to forget, you know, when I was playing, when I was put on that um weight gain program, what they would do, and anybody that was either trying to cut weight or gain weight the head trainer would have everybody come in that morning, step on the scale. 
And if I needed to gain weight and I knew I was under, there'd be guys stuffing two and a half pound plates in their girdle and trying to do that or guys that needed to cut weight in the sauna with the trash bags trying to lose. Because if you didn't, you had to do extra training and then you had to go in and at the <laughs> after the workout, you had to drink these three Gatorade proteins that back in the day, I mean, they tasted like garbage and they were just straight chalk and they'd be, it'd be like 2000 calories and they'd make, you couldn't leave the office until you drank it. And, uh, there was a lot of pressure on that stuff one way or the other, either gain or lose weight. Um, cause at the end of the day, you're on an Excel sheet, black and white numbers. And is the trainer doing his job or not getting his guys there? Uh, or he's fired. So it's his livelihood, right? So yeah, within the locker room, that's a long way to say it, in the locker room for sure, it's everywhere and talked about nonstop. You talked about yesterday when we were chatting, uh, again, Patrick Devaney, you talked about the, um, God, I can't find it in my notes right here. Typical me, I can't read my own writing. That's how it is, man. Kevin Berg's going to rip my tail. I know it. He's gonna, just going to rip my tail on this. But you talked about uh, making um, the eye test. That you had to look good for the showcase for 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 the um the eye test was was most important right and you had to make sure the first thing they're going to see at an NFL combine is how a dude looks am I am I correct there without a doubt yep so how did you prepare yourself did you that must have been so challenging and I don't know man I don't have this I don't have this and people that don't understand it how do you know if you have it how do you know if you don't what's my mental but I know I still wake up going now I'm 58 and I still wish I looked better. However, you have to go in to a, to a combine and you want to make sure you look like Tarzan before you do any type of sprint, any type of exercise at all. So every day you got to look at yourself in that mirror and go, am I there? Am I there? Am I there? But those combines, they want to see a beast. Do they, is that, am I correct when I say that? A hundred percent. Yeah. They want to see a gladiator walk in. Gladiator. And- and, um, you know, if you wa- just watch the NFL Combine on NFL Network and they go in there and they're pinching, it's a cattle call. I mean, they're pinching every aspect of your body, measuring your hand, hand size, all that kind of stuff and height, weight, um, full dimensions of your body. So, and that's where you, you watch these guys. And even in pro days, um, you'll see all these guys running around in just their girdles or just their, you know, compression shorts. <laughs> That's yeah, I guess you're trying to like, it's like a swimmer shaving his legs and trying to like shave off that tent. Yeah. I guess you don't want the drag of a, of a shirt, but if you have the body, you're trying to show that off and you're trying to say to coach Carol or whoever, Hey, look at me look at this physique to just, Break the break the noise, walk in and have them be like, wow, who the hell is that? Or like, I didn't expect that or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, the amount of pressure just on the eye test out the gates is that's huge. I could make it or break it for a lot of hey, guys. Hey, Denny, I, I know you've been in a lot of camps over the summer. Yeah, uh, baseball, and you've, baseball. You've dealt, baseball. And you've dealt with a lot of scouts. Are they looking at bodies at kids that are 12, 13, 14 years old? Is that you happening know. that young? You know, it's funny. We do. It's still big and it's still we, the biggest and the strongest. And then we like to put those guys when you see a big body. Now, there's no shirt. They, they got their unis on. But you see a big left handed hitter and that from the left side. You see guys with power that. Yeah, it is. 
in, in any sport, well, I know football for sure, baseball for sure, the big guys, if you go watch them, the John Carlos Stantons, um, right. you know, the Aaron Judges, they come out and go, they get a longer leash. They'll get nine more at-bats as opposed to the guy that's about, you know, 5'10", 180, that's going to get maybe three at-bats. And, and so yep. it varies, but absolutely. And then a guy in a mound, though, I'll tell you what changes the pitcher on the mound. If he's got velo, we go by the numbers of velocity and the power of home runs and the speed of, of – but we don't need big physical bodies like these guys got to do on the football field, I, I assume, Patrick. Yeah? Yeah, I, I think – yeah, definitely position-specific, but I would say across the board it's it's definitely different than baseball. Yeah. I remember there was an old football player uh, who's still a friend of mine, a guy named John Vela, played for the Raiders back in – he's way – Way beyond, way below your time. He played for John Madden in the in the uh, oh, nice in the Super Bowl. But he had a brother named Chris Vela. Chris Vela. Uh, they were both played at SC. They were linemen. But I remember shaking John Vela's hands, and his hands. Those you guys are just bigger than everybody else. They their hands were were large. His head was large. The necks were large. I mean, there's got to be a stopping point. Uh, Patrick, I mean, you can't be 6'8", 330 pounds. How far could you push yourself to go, this is enough, man. I, I can't get any bigger and stronger than I am right now. This is this is what you got. That I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Too. I think you see that a lot post-football. Like you see all these guys, and when you're done, it goes one of two ways. Either you lose a ton of weight mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I'm, you know, 6'8", 330 pounds, I – you see all these guys, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but there was one guy, oh, I was an O-lineman, and he went on a 40-day fast recently and lost so much weight and was applauded for it and blah, blah, blah. Um, but you're instantly like, my body, for me, when I was at 265, I was like, my body just can't wake up like this. Like, my body hurts. Uh, and then, and or, you see guys that are like, I'm done. I never want to step into a weight room again, and they go off the handlebars the other way. Very rare do you see somebody stay within those limits, but I I think um, you know, and again, kind of depending on your position. In general, it's what will it take for me to get the biggest, fastest, and strongest? Whether it's you know, you don't want to be six eight three thirty as a running back, but right. hell, give that body to an O lineman, a tackle, and they're getting paid two hundred million dollars next year. So it's you know, it's. You talked about the money too in a a, a four point nine and a four point eight on a on a with the running whatever it may be in those combines. What was the difference of money you guys would see of of the thousands and thousands of dollars? Correct. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. Talked about that a little bit. That story. You, we talked a little bit about that, man. You're trying to hit a number, and it it'll it'll cost you. It's a matter of a couple hundred thousand dollars if we can't hit that number. Correct. That's right. I, I was actually just watching a documentary uh, of oh, the Manziel documentary last night and, or two nights ago. And I'm happy I watched that to answer this. But when I played up until I think up until about 2013, 14, maybe there was a the old CBA collective bargaining agreement between the Players Association and the NFL. And if you were, uh, I think Sam Bradford was the last kid uh, before things changed. And he was a first pick of the first draft. And he signed somewhere between a 60 and $70 million signing bonus out the gates before he even stepped on the field. And then from there, every pick 
starts to go down by a million bucks. And, and it may have been a bigger jump. So by the time you get to the second round, you know, you're probably three or $4 million signing bonus. You make it to the seventh round, you're at a couple hundred grand, right? So, and if you're a, a guy that you go to the NFL combine and you're there with your 20 other tight ends, and if you can run two tenths faster than the guy that's kind of anticipated to be better, all of a sudden you jump up the ranks and it's a major payday. And it's minor. I mean, it's not like we're saying you have to run four seconds faster. It's two tenths of a second or five more reps on bench press or any of that kind of stuff that is, it, it, again, it's so relatively minor and it's such a game changer, though, financially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you know that going in. And again, this is a swing hard podcast. We're talking about youth. We, we want them. To, we, we're trying to educate these young people. What's it to be aware of? What what's coming up? But how when you were um when you found out that time comes along, man, and, and you found out that the um, that hey man that meeting with Seattle was it was it different when you went out there to see these guys in the pros are different breeds, correct? Am I saying that correctly? I hope so. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. I. <laughs> The jump from high school to college was huge, but then jump from college to NFL or professional, whatever was, that was something I had never experienced. And and you think you've been around bigger, stronger, faster. (laughs) You haven't until then. And I remember speed was supposed to be kind of my deal and why I was noticed. And I got out there in my year, the uh, first round pick was Russell Okun and a tackle from Oklahoma State. Wow. And big old, but he was that 6'8", 330 that you're talking about. Right. We get out there and we're about to do 100-yard striders to warm up, right? So you're kind of jogging, but, you know, you're in front of the coaches, first impression. (laughs) No one's really jogging. And I was like all right, I'm going to go line up right next to Russell because I know everyone's watching him. Media, but more importantly, Coach Carroll, all that kind of stuff. I love it. We take off out the gates, and I am trying to just run as fast as I can. And I look up, and I'm about 20, 30 yards deep, and Russell is neck neck to neck with me. And I'm like, dude, I can't go any faster. Like, this (laughs) is it. And I literally, I got done with that rep, and I was like, all right. I'm expecting to get cut after this one. Like it's a game changer when you get up there, how athletic some of these guys are that make it in the NFL for that long. No, man, I seen, you know, you got a chance to play Sacramento then out and you got a chance to explore what's out there. And and I know that traveling this summer, seeing different players, I was all over this country. And sometimes you grow up in that little, that little area that you're at thinking, I'm the dude, I'm the guy, I'm the guy. Then you get out there and see, uh-oh, oh, I'm, I'm not the guy, you know. And in baseball, you have international players a lot more than than, than, than football players. But um, you start seeing it, and, man, you come down to those days of getting out there, that feeling, that feeling of thinking, okay, I am doing everything I can. I have my diet, my my social life. Talked about your social life in high school or college, When in college. Did this affect your social life at all? The, the changing the, the behavior you had to change to get to where you wanted to get to 100% without a doubt it it limited so much um and again there's so many blessings that you're there to play and and all of that but 
even just the minimum requirements or coaches are coming in to check classes, who's actually showing up, who's not, all that kind of stuff. But then you add on the extra pressures and and trying to get enough sleep and all of that, that, yeah, you miss out. I mean, it's definitely a trade-off from what you're doing um, that it it definitely changes the uh, experience of, you know, my college experience compared to frat row. Hi, this is Denny Barrett, founder and head coach at Batters, which stands for Baseball Advanced Training and Recruiting Services. Batters is a full-service baseball school that is dedicated to building complete student-athletes. We provide the best instruction at top facilities in order to mentally and physically prepare our players for success at the high school level and beyond. Click on BattersSoCal.com. That's B-A-T-R-S SoCal.com for details and sign up today. In addition, we also hold open tryouts for top local players who are interested in joining a batters team. Our travel ball teams typically practice two times per week and play double headers every other Sunday in addition to entering local tournaments or out-of-state tournaments on off weekends two or three times per season. If you have a player or team who is interested in joining batters, please email me at batterssocal at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thanks.